Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. We're back for another edition of Political Rewind. Uh, Looking at the third night of the Democratic National Convention, which comes tonight, uh, Kamala Harris will give her speech, uh, which many people have been waiting for. And uh, she, of course, uh, becomes the first uh, African-American woman to uh, uh, be placed on the ticket of a major presidential uh, campaign. Uh, And um, she is expected to give a powerful speech because she has always been a, a, a really uh, a strong and forceful speaker. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about what happened at the convention last night as well. And there's other news that I want to get to today uh, that I think is important that actually does in some uh, ways relate to the themes of the convention that the Democrats are uh, putting forth so far. I want to remind everybody that uh, this is the first of two weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, in which Political Rewind will be covering conventions. Democrats went first this year, uh, and next week it's the Republicans' turn. They'll be holding a mostly all-virtual convention as well, and we will cover that in the same way that we're looking at Democrats uh, this week. Uh, with that said, let's get to our panel. Greg Bluestein, political reporter from the AJC, is my partner on Wednesday shows, and he is with us as he usually is. Uh, Greg, we've kind of bemoaned the fact the last couple of days that most of us who love political reporting really wish we could be in Milwaukee uh, this week. No matter how hard the work is, it's really an exciting time for a political journalist to get to go and cover a convention. Are you missing it? I really am. It's really a bummer, um, even though I'm, I'm not missing the 20-hour days that we would have if we were in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, I, I do wish I was there and, and with the delegations of both the Democrats this week and the Republicans next week, and you know, you you can't you can't substitute that sort of uh, in-person interaction that with 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 Zoom calls and, and the like. Yeah, um, twenty-hour days is absolutely right. You are correct about that. Um, we have two delegates to the Democratic National Convention and also uh, regular panelists on the show today. State Senator Jen Jordan is uh, with us. And um, and so is Darshan Kendrick, State Representative Darshan Kendrick. I'm wondering uh, about Jen Jordan. Do you like all the hoopla of going to a national convention? And then I'll ask you the same thing, Jen. Or you, I mean, uh, Darshan, are you just as happy uh, being able to do it virtually, Jen? No, I love being there. I mean, the virtual aspect yeah. of it is. You know, I think everybody's doing the best they can. I mean, Democrats are going to do it and then Republicans, but um, it really just isn't the same. Um, there's something about the energy um, that kind of sets everybody up to kind of for that last push into November. So it's a little it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Darshan, you too? Yeah, the same for me. It's my first time being a, a delegate, so I don't have anything to measure it against, but I have heard that it is it is totally different. Although I will say, most of you know I get up uh, really early at 5 a.m. every morning, um, so I'm enjoying actually being in my bed in my PJs watching the 9 to 11 because otherwise <laughs> I think somebody would have to hold me up at the convention because I get sleepy so fast. But uh, that's a trade-off, and I think we're getting it done, but uh, but I echo what Senator Jordan said. <laughs> oh, God. I just, uh, Darshan, I, the image of you sitting there watching the convention in your PJs, I think that's one we'll all, I love that. Edward Lindsay is with us today, former state representative from Atlanta. And Edward, you've been a delegate, I'm sure, to Republican conventions in past years and may have gone, even in your post-legislative career, to do a little lobbying. I have, and I've uh, been a delegate, and uh, and I do feel very sorry for Darshan because it is a, an amazing experience. It's also a 20-hour day. Uh, however, for the mm-hmm. delegates, probably a little bit more fun than, than for Greg, who's having to actually work. But, uh, but Jen is absolutely right in terms of 
gassing up uh, the faithful to go out there and charge all the way through to November, regardless of which party you're on. And um, and and I do feel for folks like like Darshan, who've never been to a convention before and had had a chance to be a delegate this year, because it is just one heck of a uh, of a good time. Um, yeah. and, I, and I, but I'm sure that Darshan will get a chance to, to go to several more before her career is over. Yeah, I'll I'll bet that's right. Greg Bluestein, I do want to start today. Obviously, one of the themes that Democrats have already begun. Uh, delineating in the convention is President Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Uh, And we know uh, it's going to be a big theme all the way to Election Day. It's had a big impact on the president's approval ratings uh, um, in recent months. But I want to bring it home to Georgia for a few minutes uh, uh, because Georgia is going to have is coping with the coronavirus and how it's going here may influence how people vote in the presidential race and also for races like U.S. Senate and Congress. So with that in mind, um, your paper, the AJC, reported on the latest uh, reporting from the White House Task Force, Coronavirus Task Force. We, we two weeks ago, uh, were, I think, the first to report on these private reports that the task force puts together every week and I think distributes to the states but doesn't make available publicly. We happened to see a report that the New York Times put out, and that same day went on the air and said, this is crazy. I mean, the task force itself is saying Georgia has really, really uh, uh, bad cases of of coronavirus. It's a red zone state across most of the state. Um, And now the newest report, which the AJC got a hold of, says Georgia has the highest rate of new cases of the coronavirus in the country in the seven days ending on Friday. Uh, President Trump's coronavirus task force made that statement and urged the state again to take stronger action to mitigate spread of COVID-19. Georgia reported 216 cases per 100,000 people, a rate that's at about double that of the national average, according to the task force. And and here's a quote from the report. Georgia's small gains are fragile, and statewide progress will require continued, expanded, and stronger mitigation efforts, including in all open schools. Last week, the state reported 21,741 net new cases. That is a decline of 15% from the peak. And, And in Metro Atlanta, there were improvements that helped those numbers. And yet, Greg... The, uh, the White House task force says we are still in a red zone and in danger. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's been some modest improvements, but that was my key takeaway was the report we obtained yesterday. And it, it's dated Sunday, so it's not like it's, it's stale information, said that the Georgia's gains mm-hmm. are fragile. And another key takeaway was um, the use of the phrase, including in all open schools, because Georgia's public colleges and universities are opening for the fall semester. Um, some colleges are offering in-person learning. Of course, school districts around the state are opening, mostly offering virtual learning, but some are offering hybrids and some are offering in-person um, classes. And you've, you've had several outbreaks uh, that have gained national attention since that's happening. And, and there's been a lot of scrutiny on whether or not there will be more strictly uh, adhered to mass guidelines in some of these school districts because the state is leaving it up to local superintendents to decide whether or not mask mandates are needed and, and other and other precautions because mask mandates are only the start of it. But social distancing, you know, transition classes, um, you know, other ways to keep folks uh, separated if, if, if schools are going back to in-person learning. Um, Darshan, the governor's office uh, pushed back pretty hard on this uh, in a statement from uh, Cody Hall, who accused in this specific case, the AJC, of uh, putting out information, sensationalized information. I, I got an email from the state Republican Party, as many people did, just part of their general fundraising effort, uh, in which they characterize media reporting on the virus here as essentially fake and misleading. Um, Darshan, it, I, I don't know that the public is going to buy that message, but what do you, I want to start with you and then get everybody in, into that question. Darshan? 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I think you're right that people are going to see through um, uh, calling facts fake news. Um, and, you know, uh, I know the Georgia House Democratic Caucus has particularly um, tried to give out responses to, to counteract um, sort of, you know, attacking the media for just reporting um, what is going on. And I know Senator Jordan is going to have a lot to say on this because she's been monitoring it a lot closer than I have. Um, but I, I, I am hopeful, and this is sort of the theme of the DNC convention, that people are, are able to see that um, there's a clear choice for leadership, um, leadership that follows facts, and then and then leadership that, that um, blames everyone who wants to give out facts. Um, so I think it will be an interesting time to see um, how we're, we are able to continue to give out facts so that people have the information and whatever party they want to vote for is fine as long as they are getting the facts and we're not attacking the people that are bringing um, the facts to us. So um, I am uh, hopeful that to your point, people will be able to see that, that facts don't lie. Yeah. And so, the thing that bothers me about the email that went out from the Republican Party is that it's dangerous, right? In a time when we really um, need people in this state to be listening to public health experts um, to try to cast this as some kind of media conspiracy or fake news, I mean, folks listen to that. I mean, we, you know, we have traditionally been a red state. We've traditionally been a Republican state, which means that we probably have more Republicans than, than Democrats historically. Um, so when you have the party, the Republican Party, and then the governor coming out and basically pushing um, on, you know, what's coming from the White House and telling folks, you know, it's not true and it's just being trumped up from the media, I mean, you know, they're going to rely on that. And all that's going to happen is that we're going to have more people get the virus and more people die from it. Well, you know, first off, let's let's start with the basics, which is that uh, the the number of, of of new reported cases is disturbingly high, and we still have a long way to go before we get out of it. There were some promising signs, and there have been some promising signs, and we need need to acknowledge that. And that was acknowledged in uh, in the AJC uh, article, as a matter of fact, where we have the number of reported new cases have declined in each of the last four weeks. Uh, the number of hospitalizations has declined from a peak on June 30th uh, by about from about 3,200 uh, hospitalizations to around 2,500. That's good, but regardless of that, that's a long way from where we want to be, and we are at the wrong end of a list of states in terms of progress. And there are a lot of things that need to be done, uh, in which both sides need to cast aside their their partisanship and and, and uh, politics over the next three months, and that'll be hard, and sort of focus, and I agree with both Darshan and Jen, and sort of focus on the facts on what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is people need to wear a mask. They need to maintain social distancing. Uh, businesses need to be uh, enforcing that. Uh, we need to be looking for solid solutions. I really liked uh, a, an article today uh, by our friend Jim Galloway, in which he was highlighting some of the uh, uh, ideas from uh, Chuck Epstration, a representative from Gwinnett County, who sort of walked through some things in terms of having the state uh, help facilitate uh, uh, same-day testing and getting that out to people, uh, helping uh, families with virtual uh, learning uh, clusters, and certifying businesses who fully comply with the recommendations from the experts. Those are the sort of solid things that we all need to get behind in a bipartisan fashion because, you know, <laughs> whether you get the disease or not, it's not going to be dependent upon whether or not you're Republican or Democrat. Uh, we're all in this together, and we've got to figure out a way to get out of it. Uh, Edward, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that Chuck F. Stration came on our show and rolled out those ideas on yeah, Political no. Rewind, which we were kind of surprised by it. We didn't know that he was going to do that last week, but he did uh, while he was on the show, and it's picked up some traction. Um, uh, Greg Bluestein, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, no, I just want to say, too, it's, 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 it, I understand why Republicans and why the Kemp administration is pushing back on this report and calling it um, 
you know, fake news and all this, but this comes from not a scientific study or not a university or not uh, something that's generally perceived as a biased source. It's coming from the White House's coronavirus task force. These, these are the same public health experts who are who are advising President Trump on his response. Um, and I'll also say this, we also obtained a report uh, from the CDC. Um, it was it was a little, it was dated August 9th, so it's a little staler. It's 10 days old, uh, nine days old when we reported the story. But it shows that Georgia's new case growth, um, it, it's, one of, it's one of seven southern states with two weeks or more of consecutive days with a downward trajectory in new cases, in new daily cases. So there is, there is a glimmer of, of, of positive news in there, too. Um, and, and Georgia's just trying to struggle along to contain this disease. Uh, Edward, let me ask you, um, next week, we have every reason to think when the Republicans convene, they are going to, uh, because they take their lead from the president, uh, they're going to uh, say that their dealing with the virus has been successful, that they're uh, fighting it well, that cases are declining. They'll give us a, a good news story about the virus, even though the data show that they, they don't have reason to do that. So between what happens in a convention setting and what the president says on a daily basis and the way the state of Georgia uh, leadership is handling this, let, let me ask you this question. Why does it not seem reasonable that the way to approach this might be to say, yes, we have a serious crisis on our hands, and here's all of the ways in which we are working uh, to deal with this. It is, this is a tough problem, but we're putting all of our resources into it. We can't tell you it's going to go easily. It's going to be hard to fight this down. We're going to need all of you to be involved. That seems like such a straightforward message. So I'm, I'm, what, is the ment what is the thinking? And some states are doing that. What do you imagine the thinking is that we just can't seem to deal with that? We're not going to deal with it next week. Uh, in the Republican convention, and, and the state doesn't seem quite willing to do it that way either. Why? Well, first off, you know, putting aside the, the press release that, that Greg was, was mentioning from the governor, I think that a lot of what he has been saying is that this is a tough, long road here in Georgia and that we have a long way to go. And quite frankly, now is the time uh, for straight talk on both sides. I think that there is uh, some overstatements uh, on the Democratic side, but also I think anybody who tries to paint this picture of everything is is great and you know success is just around the corner is is a dangerous thing. And quite frankly, got uh, I think Hillary Clinton and the Democrats in trouble four years ago when at their Democratic convention uh, they tried to paint a picture of the economy as if it's so rosy, rosy and great, and everybody should be happy. And yet a lot of people were still suffering, and that's why a lot of folks switched to, to President Trump uh, in the final term, because they didn't feel like the Democrats were playing straight when it came to the condition of the economy. The same thing goes true here. I think uh, tomorrow, next week, if, if I was to be listened to, uh, I would do pretty much what, Bill, what you just said. Let's have some straight talk. Uh, we're not where we need to be. We've got places to go. Here are the things that we're already trying to do. Here are the things that we are going to be doing over the next three months. That, I think, would make for a successful convention and then for a better shot in November than trying to paint a, a false rosy picture at this time. Uh, Darshan and then Jen. Um, so... Um... <laughs> It's just so much, so much to say. Um, you know, I, since the first two days of the convention, um, I have I have actually been a little surprised at um, how less the focus has been on um, specifically the handling of COVID-19. I expected that to be a thing. I expected the loss of jobs um, to be a thing, um, but it has not big, been as big of a theme as I expected it to be. Really, uh, if you look at the convention, they've centered them around bigger things. So the first night was around unity and us as America coming together. And yesterday, the theme was about how leadership matters just in general. Of course, people talked about COVID and about um, 
and about the uh, the the economic pandemic that we're going through. Um, but I, 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 obviously, we got two more days to go. Uh, but I think that uh, people are uh, or, or Democrats are going to um, focus more on just leadership in general, as as opposed to specifically focusing on COVID, because there's just so much material there. You don't have to just focus on COVID when it comes to this administration. So um, I, I think that we are, um, you know, on the path of really connecting with uh, the American people as far as, you know, what we want in, in, in a president and not, um, you know, being as partisan uh, as we probably otherwise could be when it comes to this COVID thing. But, you know, I think that the theme of, of leadership generally, um, I mean, I think that is about COVID. I mean, the very fact that we're having to have this virtual convention kind of underscores the whole idea that, you know, something's gone wrong here in terms of the management of this pandemic. And so, you know, I don't think you have to beat people over the head with this because they're living it every single day. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's why we're right now. So, All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. And uh, I thank you all for that conversation. And let's come back and let's uh, drill down a little bit on the uh, what the Democrats were doing in their convention last night, what they'll do tonight, how they hope this both nights continue to advance the message they want to get across to voters in November. Uh, all of that and more when Political Rewind continues. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Edward Lindsay, Darshan Kendrick, Jen Jordan, Greg Bluestein, join us on Political Rewind uh, today. Let's go through some of the uh, uh, convention uh, proceedings from last night and focus on how our Georgia uh, uh, folks played into them, starting with, uh, Greg, the, uh, <laughs> the amazing roll call of the states. I, you know, this, for those people who did not watch it, the idea of going to all 57 of the states and territories and having them on location in various spots around the country. Alabama uh, giving its votes, standing at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, uh, for example. Alaska being standing in the wilderness with the ocean uh, behind. It was was really a very powerful, I thought, uh, tour of what this country is, uh, Greg. And of course, uh, Georgia stood, uh, Nakima Williams, the chair of the state party, stood in front of that uh, now iconic mural, that painting of uh, uh, John Lewis in downtown Atlanta. It was, it was, it was quite an interesting uh, experience to watch, Greg. Yeah, I mean, for those of us who have been stuck at home during the pandemic for six months or so, it was the closest thing we have to a, a, to a, to traveling, to touring around the country. It was really cool. I think that uh, it's it's generally been one of my least favorite parts of the conventions. Uh, I know it's the most important yeah. official business a convention can do, but you always in the, it takes a long time. You have cameramen kind of running up and down aisles trying to trying to capture the moment. Um, it's kind of a mess and it's very ponderous. I think that even when we go back, God willing, soon to, to live uh, in-person events uh, in four years from now, they should keep this type of virtual uh, roll call because you really got a taste of each individual state and really the diversity uh, of the country. There's a shame for, for folks who are uh, party loyalists not to be able to be at the conventions. But I, I got to tell you, as a Republican, I loved it. Uh, you know, I thought yeah. it was great theater, <laughs> and uh, I thought it, I thought it was excellent and and well done. And hat tip to uh, whoever came up with the idea. Um, you, you, Greg is absolutely right. Uh, the roll call was usually the time when most folks would sort of click it on mute and go get a drink, uh, watching a convention. But you didn't do it this time. <laughs> 
uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what Republicans do next week to, uh, to when it comes to their roll call to match that because it, it was well done. I will also add yeah, that if you can't so he, if you can't do well done at your own convention, you're in trouble. But they, that was absolutely fabulous. I've had tip to them. So he, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Here's Nakima Williams, state uh, chair. Nakima Williams uh, announcing George's vote uh, is again standing above and looking down on that. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, piece of John Lewis on the side of a wall in downtown Atlanta. My mentor, Congressman John Lewis, knew that the right to vote is sacred. Georgians know that our ability to vote is under attack. Long lines, voter suppression. Donald Trump is even trying to slow down the mail and force us to risk our lives to cast a ballot. We will not be silenced. Take out your phone and text VOTE to 30330 and make sure your voice is heard in this election. From the cradle of the civil rights movement and in the spirit of good trouble, Georgia cast our 117 votes for our next president, Joe Biden. Darshan, uh, some people, and typically quite often in these roll calls when they're in person, uh, people who announce the results uh, use them to promote an industry, uh, a tourism uh, 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 location that they want people to visit in the state. Nakima Williams went right for uh, significant issues that matter to the Democrats in Georgia uh, right now. She talks voter suppression. Uh, she uh, talks about getting people out to vote. Uh, she did not waste her opportunity to get a real message out, Darshan. She didn't, and that's, uh, you know, typical uh, Senator Nakima Williams is going straight for what what matters most. Um, I, I was uh, tickled by uh, some state that shouted out calamari, and it made me want calamari for the rest of the night. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 so I think it was so, Rhode Island. Yeah, so there was no shortage of, um, of of people shouting out, you know, particularly their uh, their industry. So, um, you know, she 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 did what uh, I think you know is on the minds of everyone, which is uh, making sure that Georgia actually goes over to being blue because we've been purple for so long um, that I'm really too ready to, uh, to to go on over to the blue zone. So I'm glad she did that. But you know, you made a good point, um, Bill, that. Uh, Senator Williams brought up, you know, issues that we care about in terms of voter suppression here. Um, but along with the diversity of the people that, um, you know, were were included as part of this roll call, I mean, there were some really, um, for example, the thing that was most moving to me was the fact that Matthew Shepard's parents um, were the ones that announced the votes um, for Oklahoma. And Wyoming. Wyoming, sorry, it's, I apologize. Um, but, you know, I think that that in and of itself sends a message in in terms of, of the choice of the people who were announcing the votes in terms of the priorities, you know, of Democrats. Edward? No, like I said, I, I, thought, it, I thought it went well. Um, I, I also uh, liked the calamari from Rhode Island. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, you know, a little, you, know you, can't be, you can't be serious uh, through 57 states. you got to have a little comic relief. And I thought that went well. Um, and, you know, it, it, this is going to be tough for these conventions. It's sort of, let me sort of broaden it from, from, from the roll call. The hard thing for, for both sides is going to be to try to get that kick that normally happens after your conventions. And to be candid with you, I, I kind of doubt if either uh, party is going to get it this year. I mean, the overall uh, viewership, I think, is, is, is down. I'm not sure how far down. Maybe Greg knows the exact numbers. Uh, but it's, it's, it's awfully hard to, to capture uh, the moment uh, when everything's being done virtual and get the necessary kick that that we've seen at other conventions, and that's going to be the hard thing. I thought I, that the uh, the fifty seven roll call was part of it, and obviously the uh, Vice President Biden's speech on Thursday night will be a big part of it. But we're we're dealing with uncharted territory. Uh, we'll see whether or not what we've seen in other conventions happens this year. 
I believe that the Democrats announced that between digital, cable, and networks uh, on the first night, Monday night, there were something like 18 million uh, viewers, which is not a bad number. Uh, and we'll watch how that unfolds in the days ahead. But I want to take a moment of personal privilege, Greg Bluestein. You've covered conventions. I was I was intrigued by the fact that last night they tried to have a little celebration for Joe Biden after he went over the top, which is usually a big moment in the convention hall. They had his grandchildren uh, uh, with him with balloons. Joe Biden was there, of course, and they were all masked. And it was it was sweet, but kind of sad. But uh, uh, here's what I thought about. You know, every convention has a theme song, and we don't really have one this time because it's a virtual convention. But what they played last night was Cool and the Gang's Celebrate Good Times when uh, they showed that little celebration of Biden. And here's what I thought about. The 1984 Democratic Convention, which was the convention that nominated Walter Mondale at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, that was their theme song, Cool and the Gang's uh, uh, Celebrate Good Times. And my, my greatest memory, and it has relevance today, is standing on the floor of that convention when Mondale came out to give his acceptance speech in the Georgia delegation, I happened to be standing right next to then-Governor Joe Frank Harris, as conservative a Democrat as you could possibly have. And during his acceptance speech, Walter Mondale made a line, said a line that became infamous. Uh, he was talking about the debt. And he said this, let's tell the truth. He's, going to, he's talking about taxes being raised. Let's tell the truth. That must be done. It must be done. Mr. Reagan will raise taxes, and so will I. He won't tell you. I just did. And I happened to turn and look at Joe Frank Harris in that moment, and it looked as if his face had melted like a candle. <laughs> and I think it was the last time Joe Frank Harris wanted to have anything to do with the Mondale ticket that year. I just couldn't and, help Greg to think about that when I heard Mondale that carry. theme. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was a, one of the yeah, worst and performances. And, and that's the kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what we miss when we have the, when we don't have in-person conventions. We miss those personal interactions and those stories that that you, yeah. know, you can't tell th through Zooms. Um, I do. I will say, I really do like the um, the other unofficial song of the convention, which is Bruce Springsteen's "The Rising." Uh, that he wrote after the September yeah. 11th attacks and had, had been sort of a, a recurrent theme here today, too, So, or during the four-day convention so far. Jen Jordan and Stacey Abrams had a role last night as one of the people who gave the uh, what was supposed to be the keynote speech. Um, 18 young leaders identified by the DNC to kind of share the speech. Uh, they did give Stacey a little bit more prominent uh, role in that. Let's listen to what she said, and then, Jen, when we come back, let's talk about it. In a democracy, we do not elect saviors. We cast our ballots for those who see our struggles and pledge to serve, who hear our dreams and work to make them real, who defend our way of life by protecting our right to vote. Faced with a president of cowardice, Joe Biden is a man of proven courage. He will restore our moral compass by confronting our challenges, not by hiding from them or undermining our elections to keep his job. In a time of voter suppression at home and authoritarians abroad, Joe Biden will be a champion for free and fair elections, for a public health system that keeps us safe, for an economy that we build back better than before and for accountability and integrity in our system of justice. Jen Jordan? Yeah, I mean, as always, uh, Stacey did a great job. I think the only letdown for me is we know what an incredible speaker she is. Um, and I really think they, they probably could have given her more time. Um, you know, I mean, that's really the biggest thing. I, Darshan, I agree with what uh, Jen Jordan just said. I, it struck me that for someone who became such a national star in the aftermath of her 2018 uh, gubernatorial bid and who we saw as such a strong and powerful speaker, uh, it, it did feel like 
by being part of this group of 18, that was a, if the roll call was an enormous success, this, this uh, keynote speech was probably the biggest, I would say, uh, pro- most problematic thing they tried to do. And they really did not give Stacey Abrams what struck me as something that she may have a better position, which she may very well have deserved, Darshan. Yeah, I um, I agree with that. And she's um, actually speaking at the breakfast that I am supposed to be at right now with the uh, Georgia delegation. Um, but listen, I have uh, been hearing that uh, there's criticism because Latinos haven't gotten uh, the correct due. I've heard the AOC should have gotten more time. Um, so I think if everybody steps back and realizes that the conference um, went from, you know, 18, 19-hour days to essentially um, trying to compact a lot of stuff within a two-hour period. Um, they just didn't have that much real estate as they usually do for, for these kinds of things. And so um, they, they had to cut, make some cuts somewhere. But believe me, I am sure that uh, Stacey Abrams is going to continue to speak her truth no matter how much time she gets and that they are going to use all of her fabulous abilities to uh, make sure that, that the Biden-Harris ticket is a, is a winning ticket. So I'm sure it's not the last that we see of her on the national stage um, just because we had to, had to make some changes because of the environment. Uh, Edward Lindsay, we've been talking a little about both the, uh, the, the substance but also the optics. I just said a minute ago, a keynote speech can be one of the most electrifying moments of a convention done by the right person with the right speech. Um, Ann Richards, 1988, at the Atlanta Democratic Convention, one of the most one of the best remembered uh, keynote speeches uh, uh, ever. Um, this just seemed to be a kind of an attempt to bring a lot of diverse people to the screen, and it lost all the impact that I think a keynote speech potentially could have. It can also be the most issue-oriented speech of a campaign at times. So, Edward, from an optics point of view, how did that go? Well, I think you're right. And let's not also forget uh, President Obama's speech in, in 2004. Yeah. Uh, which which I think uh, launched his presidential career uh, only four years later. Uh, but the Democrats went in a different direction. They obviously wanted to showcase the broad array of folks. Uh, and quite frankly, this you know I, I, I've been there before when it comes to to arguing who gets time. Uh, in all candor, I think there there has been some pushback from about some folks in other parts of the country, certainly not Georgia that have said, well, Stacey Abrams has gotten too much press uh, and that, uh, you know, given the fact that, you know, she hasn't held a, a statewide office yet. And so, you know, there is that sort of pushback that sort of kept her perhaps from getting more time. But, yeah, they went for, for, for showing the broad array of their party and, and, you know, rather than try to focus on one particular rising star. Um, and 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 probably took away uh, a chance at a moment when it comes to pushing someone forward, like what happened with President Obama in 2004 or uh, Governor Cuomo in 1984 uh, convention, which was another uh, spellbinder uh, yeah. on on the Democratic yeah. side. Greg Bluestein, um, let's get to one more Georgian, two more Georgians who. Uh, were uh, given speaking roles last night. We didn't know ahead of time that they were going to be included, but uh, former President Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter were featured at one point. Um, Let's listen first to what uh, President Carter had to say. By the way, we should point out that in both cases, both both, uh, Rosalind and Jimmy Carter, they 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 were voiceovers. Um, so let's listen to President Carter first. Joe has the experience, character, and decency to bring us together and restore America's greatness. We deserve a person with integrity and judgment, someone who's honest and fair, someone who is committed to what is best for the American people. Joe is that kind of leader, and he is the right person for this moment in our nation's history. He understands that honesty and dignity are essential traits that determine not only our vision, but our actions, more than ever, that's what we need. So, Jimmy Carter, uh, Greg, um, it's hard for those people who have 
watched him over the years not to hear uh, that his his age is really catching up to him as we listen to his voice there. And it's even more so with Rosalind, of course. Uh, but that was the first thing I thought of, Greg. Same here. I mean, the fact that he was not pictured, uh, there was a, as he spoke, there was a slideshow of images from <clears throat> the Biden campaign trail and, and from Jimmy Carter's history, but he was not uh, on, on a live video speaking or even a pre-recorded video. video. Um, at 95, he's the oldest uh, a former U.S. president and uh, longest-serving former U.S. president in U.S. history, um, and uh, you know you, he's he's battled all sorts of illnesses and cancer recently. Um, but they, he he wanted to show his support for for Vice President Biden, and and they have a long history as, as well together. Uh, not necessarily always close closely aligned, um, but they they go back to the 1970s as well. Um, Jen, let me ask you about about that. Uh, there's a great deal of emphasis on party leaders like a Jimmy Carter who have had uh, history with Joe Biden, have gone back with him for many, many years. Um, and it, it, there are people who are saying that one of the problems with this convention is that in many ways it's been backward-looking, not forward-looking, that there's more attention being given to uh, people like uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton speaks uh, tonight. Um, John Kerry uh, on the program. Are, are, are you? Do you think the Democrats are are doing a fair enough job mixing the tradition, the people who have helped build that party, and and the new energy moving forward? Does that concern you at all? I mean, you are really part of the newer energy of the party. You know, it doesn't concern me because. You know, I think that this convention, or I think conventions tend to be a reflection of the nominees and the tickets to some extent. And I think what Biden is trying to communicate is his long relationships with folks um, and and really that he's a man of character um, and of competence. And, you know, I think that by having, you know, all of the past leaders you know, that folks know. Going back to, to President Carter, um, I think it really, he's trying to touch just about every Democrat in every demographic and every age. Um, because I think what we know is that to defeat President Trump, we're going to need them all to, to show up in November. Uh, Darshan, I'm curious. You're another one of the young people identified as an, an upcoming leader in the Democratic Party. Do you do you think that when you have an emphasis on these older folks, that people in you know your cohort, younger uh, 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 voters, are, are going to be energized by what they're hearing? Well, I guess that's uh, part of my job as a as a young elected official, right? Is to is to try to connect that bridge. Um, but but listen, I obviously the uh, people that are in their late twenties and thirties, like I am, are um, are 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 looking at um, sort of long term, which I'm glad about, and and looking at who's going to be the best one when we're retiring or when we start having kids or sort of longer term. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they can see past um, sort of us highlighting the history and uh, and our past um, people who have, who have gone before us to see what it is that is at stake in this election for our future, uh, because our future is so long. So I'm hoping that that is something that I'm helping to message in the Biden-Harris um, campaign. Um, I got to get to a break. Uh, when uh, we come back from that break, let's talk a little bit about Jill Biden, who gave her big speech last night. This is Political Rewind. Greg Bluestein, here's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, one of the firms that monitors traffic on uh, search engines uh, released a report yesterday uh, and the most interesting finding about the first night of the convention was it said during and after Michelle Obama's speech on Monday night, uh, Googling search engine of, uh, uh, views for registering or, or rather for getting an absentee ballot went up 1,600% across the country. I think you could say mission accomplished, Mrs. Obama, Greg. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was definitely a call to action in, in that in that Monday speech and encouraging Democrats to to take action now. You know, with the with the concerns about postal delays and all that, um, if you take action now, there should be enough time to get those absentee ballots and then back um, to to county registrar's office within plenty of time. But but procrastinators, be warned. Yeah, um, you know what? I I just was reminded by my team that I haven't mentioned Sally Yates yet. Um, Jen Jordan, Sally Yates, uh, of course, fired as acting attorney general by President Trump uh, in the middle of all of the controversy about how the Justice Department, the FBI, had been investigating the Trump campaign connections to Russia, which we have now learned in a bipartisan U.S. Senate report was much more expensive than we had known previously. Sally Yates was given an opportunity to speak on the program last night, too, and talked about uh, the fact that he, she says the president used his position to benefit himself rather than our country uh, and uh, that he has been abusing his power from the very start. She said he treats our country like it's his family business, this time bankrupting our nation's moral authority at home and abroad. Jen and Sally Yates, always a strong speaker. Yeah, no, I I'd love that that you know she was featured, um, and what I'm hoping is that it's a preview of of maybe who he's going to be who's he's going to pick to be in his administration um, when he wins in November. I mean, she'd make an incredible attorney general, and um, mm-hmm. you know she had such a great record here in the state in terms of prosecuting political corruption, um, and you know that actually may be needed more than ever. So you know as a as a proud graduate of the University of Georgia School of Law, um, you know, it was a good night. It was a good night for us. Yeah. Uh, Greg, the big speech was Jill Biden. Let's listen to just a little bit of what she said. And it's not unexpected that the spouse of a candidate would make the remarks that she did much more personal. And they, she did exactly that. Let's listen. Like so many of you, I'm left asking How do I keep my family safe? You know, motherhood came to me in a way I never expected. I fell in love with a man and two little boys standing in the wreckage of unthinkable loss, mourning a wife and mother, a daughter and sister. I never imagined at the age of 26, I would be asking myself, how do you make a broken family whole? Still, Joe always told the boys, Mommy sent Jill to us. And how could I argue with her? How do you make a broken family whole? The same way you make a nation whole. With love and understanding. And with small acts of kindness. With bravery. With unwavering faith. You show up for each other in big ways and small ones, again and again. It's what so many of you are doing right now for your loved ones, for complete strangers, for your communities. There are those who want to tell us that our country is hopelessly divided, that our differences are irreconcilable. But that's not what I've seen over these last few months. Greg, more than more than the where he stands on policy issues, um, the the personal story of Joe Biden and the ability that he has to show his humanity is inextricably linked to how this uh, convention messaging is moving forward. And that was a great example of it. Yeah, I mean, to me, the whole second night was about was about Democrats trying to show that Joe Biden's a mensch, not necessarily about policy. There was foreign, there was foreign policy. There was, <laughs> there was talk about the pandemic, but they wanted to show that he was a good guy, that he was a decent and honorable human being, and that's why they had Republicans, they had liberals, they had conservatives, they had, they had people from across the, uh, the the spectrum just talk about him as a human being. But no one can do it more powerfully than the person who knows him best, his wife. And what really struck me was their 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 love story. The, the, I think it was five times he asked her to marry uh, marry him before she finally <laughs> said yes. And then something else, um, how um, her two, uh, her, her Joe Biden's two sons from her previous marriage 
um, called her mom. There was never stepmom. It was never step stepsons. It was mom and mommy. Mommy was was his was 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 their late mother, and mom is Joe Biden. And I don't know that that just that just stayed with me. Edward um, Jennifer Senior wrote a really interesting column in the New York Times uh, at the beginning of this week about just that. That it and w- when it comes right down to it, the Joe Biden, the things that they will um, talk about most in the weeks leading into this election are his character, his humanity, his ability to reach out to individuals. Uh, that's all beautiful, and it's certainly key to who he is as a person, Edward. But uh, can you win an election on your character as opposed to your opponent's character? Well, you win the election first by establishing your character, and then you've got to build from that. And and they are going to the strong suit for, for, for Joe Biden this week, and, and rightly so. He is someone who is well-regarded uh, after his long tenure in Washington by uh, folks on both sides of the political aisle. Uh, he is well-liked and well-thought of and well-respected. The question now becomes, however, from this point forward, is what will he be doing in the next four years? The fact of the matter is this is a – uh, a center nation. Uh, we go sometimes center right. We sometimes go center left, but we stay in the center. And the challenge that he's going to have uh, between now and November is to establish that he's, he fits squarely in that historical model and that he doesn't stray to the more liberal elements of his party as personified by Bernie Sanders and some of the other folks uh, within that area. Uh, and, and that's going to be his right, challenge. Let me- let me, because we're running low on time, I want to give Darshan a you got about 30 seconds to answer that, and you then too, uh, Jen. Can, how far can character get you in this election, uh, Darshan? Um, I think we have seen from last uh, election um, how important character is going forward. Um, but to, uh, to, to Ed's point, I think you have to start with character and then build on policy after that. But I'm hoping that character does get um, a second, third, fourth, and fifth look uh, because policy is not going to mean much if you don't start with a foundation of character. Yeah. Jen, Jen, you get the last word. Yeah, from my perspective, character is everything in this election. I think that we know that character informs everything that a leader does in terms of governance. Um, and what character means is that, you know, I believe that Joe Biden is always going to be making decisions that he thinks are in the best interests of this country and putting the people of this country first and not himself. Thank you for that. Um, and thanks to all of you, Darshan Kendrick, Edward Lindsay, Senator Jen Jordan, uh, Greg Bustein, a pleasure to have all of you with us as we talked about the Democratic Convention on today's show. Tonight, uh, for those of you who are paying attention, really is Women's Night at the convention, of course, because Kamala Harris gives her speech. But Nancy Pelosi, uh, former Secretary of State, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, uh, will uh, be speaking. Um, but uh, so will former President Barack Obama and Wisconsin Governor Tony Heavers. So it's going to be an interesting lineup tonight. And uh, we'll talk about it on tomorrow's show. Uh, when we come back here for yet another political rewind. And again, let me remind you, next week it's the Republicans' turn, and we'll be covering the Republican convention just as we have the Democrats this week. Until then, take care, and please, everybody, till tomorrow, stay healthy. Bye-bye.